Welcome back to Portfolio Rescue. We get tons of questions every week on Twitter, email, YouTube. People stop dunking on the street sometimes. Uh, and we like to try to answer them here. So askthecompoundshow at gmail.com is our email. The sponsor for today's show is Future Proof Festival 2023. This, this was the Future Proof Festival this past year in 2022 is easily one of the most fun things I've ever done career-wise in finance. Uh, it's on the beach. We're going to be doing live podcasts there. Duncan and I are going to do a live portfolio rescue there. Maybe with some help from, from, from uh, Josh and Michael. Animal Spirits Live, Compounded Friends Live, tons of well-known speakers. We're going to do some musical acts. That, that, it's going to be so much fun. Visit futureproof.advisorcircle.com for more. Duncan, one of the one of my favorite things about the one last year, the food it was food trucks, yeah. And you could just go eat it whenever you want. You didn't have to wait in like a buffet line or someone to bring you food at like most conferences, right? And it I was all wait. inclusive. You didn't have to have like tickets or you know like you know pay separately that kind of thing. That was nice. I like that. It's fun. We had a ton of uh, people who aren't even in the finance world come last year who were just kind of part of our audience and fans of the shows. Right. We met up with so. some of the Animal Spirits Discord people. Well, maybe we can uh, do that again. Uh, that was fun. John and I went and met him. That was fun. That's right. Yeah. So anyway, check it out. Future proof. I think if you if you uh, go early, you can get a little bit of a discount. Let's uh, let's get rid of the questions. Okay. Up first today, we have a nice short one. Easy read um, from Edward. Is it crazy to be a hundred percent in stocks from age thirty two to sometime in my fifties for my retirement accounts? I don't think it's crazy at all. But I. I the thing is, there's, there's no hard and fast rules for this that work for every person in every situation, but it certainly makes sense for younger investors to have more risk in their retirement accounts than older investors. My favorite finance writer of all time, William Bernstein. The guy's smart. He can communicate really good, uh, really good stuff. So he has a book called Deep Risk that goes over the concept of risk when it comes to investing better than any explanation I've ever read. Quick, quick summary. He says risk comes in two flavors. Shallow risk, which is a loss of real capital, but it's recovered in a relatively short period of time, say within a few years. Deep risk is a permanent loss of capital. That could be through something like inflation. That could be selling out at the wrong point. That could be government confiscation, some of these things. And his whole thing is stocks pr protect against deep risk, like a real loss of capital, but exacerbate shallow risk, which means you're going to have a lot of volatility. So Bernstein's whole point is that if you're managing for short-term spending needs, you have to follow you know, shallow risk, while long-term spending needs, you have to be guided by deep risk. So the moral of the story is, if you're a young saver, your biggest asset is human capital, right? It's your future earnings power and your savings. You want to have lower prices. So the biggest risk of the stock market is you prices go down, right? For as a young investor, you should be getting on your hands and knees and praying for lower prices. So you can put that savings to work at higher dividend yields and lower valuations and all that stuff. If you're an older investor, you still want to have a little bit of money in stocks, as we talked about before, but you have short-term spending needs, and you might not be able to wait out a bear market as long. So I totally agree with this rule of thumb, but let's let's throw up the second question because it's kind of a similar one, and then before I kind of get in, we can answer these both at the same time. So do another one. Okay. Uh, up next, we have the following. I don't get why people work a 30-plus year career while investing in stocks only to glide path into a heavier bond allocation around retirement. Why not just stay 100% in stocks and benefit from price appreciation and dividends for life? So I got both of these questions from the same blog post. So John, do a chart on here. This is I did a little thing of the calendar year returns from 1928 to 1922 for the S&P 500, broken out by different return. So you can see 0 to 10%, 10 to 20 this is 95 years of historical data. One of the craziest things about the performance of the U.S. stock market historically is that you've been more likely to have a, a return in a given year of 20% or more than a loss in your given year. 
Let me repeat that. Over the last 95 years, you've been more likely to have a gain of 20% or more than a loss, which is pretty crazy. So there have been 34 years with gains in excess of 20% over the last 95 years. That's you know more than a third of the time. 26 down years in that time, which is around 25% of the time. So not too bad. Now, people look at this stat, and I think that's why we got the questions and say, why would I not just have all of my money in stocks then? Stocks are your best bet at earning a return over the rate of inflation. If you just wait for the long term, they dividends grow, all these things. I think the optimal portfolio for anyone with a time horizon that's multiple decades should be mostly equities. But sometimes your emotions hijack you and don't allow you to get to those long-term decade periods. So, John, do a chart on to the next one. That's just the drawdown. This is, even when we have gains, we've shown this before, uh, the blue lines are the gains, the red dots are the intra-year peak to trough losses. Since 1928, the average loss is like 16% a year, a little more than 16% a year. Since 1950, it's a little more than 14% per year. So, even with long, long-term returns that are great, it can still be a volatile time in the short term, right? So I think some investors still need that emotional hedge, even when you're younger. I think that's kind of knowing yourself personally. I'm 41. For me personally, retirement accounts are all 100% stocks or equity-like investments. I, I have a time horizon and that's measured in decades as opposed to years or months, so I'm fine taking that. But I still have liquid cash reserves or short-term bonds to see me through shorter-term goals and emergencies. And I imagine as I get closer to retirement, that that would need to be picked up so that there'll be a higher balance in those liquid savings. So the thing is, you don't want to have to sell out of your stocks while they're down. So John, do the next one. This is S&P 500 bear markets since World War II. And I did peak to trough means the, the top of the market when it peaks all the way to the bottom of the bear market. And how many months? That's an average of roughly 12 months, right? So call it a year on average, historically, for the last few bear markets. Then I did a break-even column showing, okay, how long did it take you to go from peak to trough back to break-even at all-time highs again? So that's, on average, 21 months taking from the bottom. Add those up, and you go peak to peak, and we're talking 33 months. So it's almost three years on average in the bear markets in modern history where you go peak to trough, back to peak. Shortest one was COVID crash at seven months. Longest one was the 1973-74 bear market, which took almost six years. So my whole point is, you can have these bear markets that last a long time. The 2000 to 2002 bear market was also pretty long. Uh, you know, you don't want to be selling off your stocks when they're down for that long. Now, maybe you say, well, my portfolio is big enough. I can live off the dividends. That's fine. Dividends aren't, aren't written in stone either. In 2008 crisis, the dividends on the SP 500 fell more than 31%. So they didn't fall nearly as much as prices, which were 56%, but they did fall. So it's true that most of your compounding gains come later in life when you have a big portfolio. I think that's a, if you did this straight line spreadsheet and say, I'm going to earn 7% per year every year, or 8%, whatever it is, the majority of the gains come when you have more money, which compounding, that, that makes sense, right? Uh, an 8% gain on a million dollars is way bigger than an 8% gain on $100,000. But I think you have to kind of balance out your ability to, to sit through a bear market and maybe have bad timing versus I still want to grow my wealth. So I do think it's important to still grow your wealth when you're retired. But I think you have to have some balance in there of having some short-term liquidity. And the other thing is, I think people probably mentally bucket out different things where they're looking at short-term cash or their real estate holdings or their portfolio. And so most, most people don't have all of their net worth 100% invested in stocks anyway. But I think if you're looking at retirement portfolio, yeah, for young people, 100% is not crazy at all. When you get to retirement, I'm sure some people probably have the ability and intestinal fortitude to do that, but you're just setting yourself up for the potential for a really bad outcome if you're unlucky. I have a question. Is there a term in the markets for the opposite of alpha? 
Because looking at those benchmarks and history, it's pretty amazing. Like looking at my trading account over the last year or so, <laughs> I'm just like, what do you call that when it's like the opposite of outperformance? Uh, I don't, I don't that's know. called reality, I think. <laughs> <Okay>. Where, <laughs> where it's the market is really hard to beat, unfortunately, and, and even. The people who do this for a living, they do this all the time. They have the computers and they have the quants and they hire these people from MIT to be rocket scientists who are going to figure out how to beat, beat the market. Beating the market is hard. That's, yeah, that's they can't all be cool. Jim Simons, right? Yes. Uh, also yeah. on the dividend thing, am I crazy or did Disney used to have a dividend? I saw recently in my account that there's no dividend there. I just hadn't paid attention in a long time. I do believe that Disney uh, canceled their dividend during COVID to okay. kind of make up for lost park revenues and and you get your Star Wars shows now because Disney <laughs> because canceled the that, dividend. That lack of dividend, that's how they funded Maybe, maybe Bob Iger coming back, we'll, we'll put that in there. But, okay. All right. Well, I yeah, guess that's again, a win. Again, yeah. Again, if, if you're someone in your 30s and you can handle stocks moving around all the time and not touch it and not me- mess with it, then being 100%, 100% in stocks is, is certainly fine. I, I think there probably are retirees who can handle that kind of portfolio, but I, I would think that the, the number of them who can handle the emotional volatility from it is very small. And according to our um, poll in the chat right now, 72% of uh, the chat say that they're nearly 100% in equities in their portfolios. Okay. So. That, that makes sense. That, that's me. People, hey, we got some long-term investors here. Yeah. Good for them. All right, let's do another one. Hey, up next we have, we have a question from Zach. And this is, this is a nice not to brag. I kind of like, like this one. Um, Zach writes, I'm a 38-year-old in California with $1.3 million in a 60-40 portfolio with a 4% withdrawal from an inheritance. $250,000 personal portfolio of stocks, $150,000 cash and some other small investments, and a paid-off house valued at $500,000. I have about 50% savings rate between my 4% withdrawal and income. I'm frugal. But here's the kicker. I've been working low-paying jobs my whole life while in this position. I make about $20 an hour with no college degree. Sometimes I feel like I should just quit my job because this income isn't doing much in the grand scheme of things. I'm just saving money to save more money and not leveling up. How should I structure my portfolio in this situation? Uh, should I quit my job and enjoy an average life with the assets I have? This, I, I really like this question. This is, this is why there are no hard and fast rules. Because in the last question, I said, most young people, human capital is their biggest asset. Right. For old people, it's financial assets. Zach is a relatively young person who has a ton of financial assets, and they dwarf his human capital. And so this is why there are exceptions to the rule. So um, this is interesting. I want to run some quick numbers here. So Zach said he's taking 4% on his $1.3 million inheritance. That's around $52,000 a year. I don't know why the 4% from that portfolio, maybe it's some sort of trust thing where he has to take that money and that's how That's what I was going to ask if that was a required thing. I'm I'm guessing that that would make sense. Otherwise, if he's saving 50% of it, what's the point of taking it out in the first place? So he's saving a lot of it. Let's just assume... Your spending needs grows by the Fed's 2% inflation rate You're from that 52K, and you do, I'm going to do a 4% rule every year. Your portfolio does 6% a year because it's diversified. In 20 years, you'd still have roughly $1.8 million. So uh, he's doing pretty good. Don't take this to the bank because we haven't factored in taxes and sequence of return risk. This is just a quick one. But um, yeah, I mean, especially if he's saving 50% of it, he's probably really only spending a 2% rule. So Zach is in a pretty good financial position. I don't, I don't know what happened to put him into this position, uh, but house is paid off. No more. He did say inheritance. Yeah, but yeah. So so it, it could have been you know something with the parents, which which is not a great situation. Uh, six figures in liquid savings, seven figure portfolio. Financially, as, as a thirty eight year old, you already kind of won the game. So it's the question is now what, right? First of all, 
enjoy yourself a little bit. Maybe you've you've kind of you've won the game. There's you know, some people would say stop playing, but you have a you still have a potentially long time horizon. You could have 50, 60 years to save and compound this money. So what do you do? Go back to school, start a business, take a risk, try a new job, travel for a few months, volunteer, maybe give some money to charity. The point is like do some stuff that makes you happy. You have plenty of capital and flexibility. But I think the first thing you need to do is you need a financial plan. And you probably need to talk to a financial advisor to help you through this because one of the things that a financial advisor can do is help you to define your goals. And I think Zach is in a great position financially, but probably hasn't hasn't gone through and figured out like, what do I actually want to do with this money, right? Because it seems like, he's, like he doesn't know. And so you need someone to help you define what those goals are, put it down on paper, create a financial plan, and figure out what exactly you want to do that will allow you to spend the money wisely, enjoy yourself, and also keep up your standard of living uh, along the way. So that that's kind of that's the goal. Uh, tooting your own horn here as a wealth manager, but I think Zach needs he needs some sort of financial plan. That, that's that's the thing. You, you can't figure out what you're going to do with that money or your goals if you don't have something that you're, you're shooting for. He could also start a um, a fire podcast. You know, talking about early retirement and stuff. Well, the the internet comes after people who go fire because of an inheritance, though. <laughs> yeah, no, so, I'm, I'm kidding. He'd have to leave that right. part out. Yeah, but but again, great financial position. Uh, I don't know how how that happened, but now you have to figure out like, okay, what am I going to do with this great position that I'm in? Right? These are the these. This is the hand that I've been dealt. Let's uh, let's do some good here. Yeah, I feel like I would maybe like buy a business, like a local business or something, a restaurant or something that I enjoyed. You know, because some people in the chat are talking about that at that young of an age. If you just quit working, I mean, unless you have a bunch of hobbies that keep you busy, you might end up actually worse off and not happy if you just don't really feel like you have anything to keep you keep yeah, you or alternatively if that's not your your if you don't have that type of personality then then like i said maybe volunteer and do some charity work or right. something yeah. that that can like allow you to give back or or keep you busy yeah if you wanted to buy a business maybe banana stand are you an aggressive development fan duncan <laughs> yeah, i am i am there's always money in the banana stand all right let's do another one okay uh Question for us from but Lee. But hey, Zach, give, give us a call if you want to talk to someone. But I, I think <laughs> right. you, uh, I'm not tooting your own horn here, but you could you could maybe it'd be helpful to walk through some of the financial plan. I think I think that'd be helpful. Right. Yeah. No, it sounds it sounds like he can only uh, benefit from that. Um, okay. So up next, we have a question from Lee. If I plan to retire early in my mid 40s, should I stay with a traditional 401k and do a Roth conversion after I retire at a lower bracket, or change to Roth and get the Roth matching? I'm in the 22% tax bracket. I don't understand lots, this question. So Lots of early retirement talk. Let's bring in the tax man himself, Bill Sweet. Hey, Bill. Oh, you're muted. Yeah, John. Gentlemen, it's good to be back to you in the new year. Uh, I was beginning to think you forgot about me. Put me in a box. Uh, <laughs> good to be back. Let's do this. All right. All right. Early retirement. This is this is another, sounds like we do have a fire advocate here. Early 40s. That, that's yeah. that's pretty young. Good for wow. them for saving enough or having I'm a lifestyle. I'm in my early that, 40s. Should I retire? Me too. I, I, personally, I'm, I could never do it, but I respect the move. Like yeah. good for them for getting to that point. I could Old. never do it. What are the tax implications? Because if you're retiring that early, the tax deferral stuff, the tax deferred retirement accounts kind of take on a, a, a different role here because you're not you're not going to be able to utilize them as much as you would if you kept working. So what's the what's the yeah. plan here? That's so interesting because I dialed right into the last part of that question, which was, should I switch to Roth to get the Roth matching? And I think what you gentlemen are not aware of, maybe because you skipped out on tax time with Bill and Bill at 1130 a.m. this morning, was the Secure Act 2.0, which Sleepy Joe signed into law for us on uh, December 30th, includes now the ability for your employer 
to match Roth contributions uh, with matching Roth retirement funds. And that's very cool, that's new. Uh, and you guys know what's on the back tattoo. Very first show, the back tattoo came out. Uh, go back to Portfolio Rescue One if you wanna take a look. Um, but Roth area conversion is what the back tattoo on my back says. But the you know, only Bill, thing- Bill better, Arts told us this last year, last yeah, week. Yeah. I didn't know that was a thing that, so I've been in a Roth 401k for the last couple of years. I did not realize that my contribution from Ridgehold Wealth Management was going into a traditional that is correct. We've been screwing no you over unintentionally all this time. But to be fair, we were following the law. The law changed, right? So, but the only thing better than the Roth IRA conversion guys is matching Roth contributions, right? If I can get my employer match, my 4%, 6% safe harbor, whatever it is, if I can get that into a Roth account, that's not only is that free money, it's tax-free free money, right? It's double free. So that's what we I need. Like and that, that's what I dialed in on. Yeah. So, uh, but, but Ben, you, you sort of dialed in on, right? Then I'm going to retire in my 40s. And so what type of account, what kind of assets do I want to have if I'm taking distribution to my 40s? Right, yeah, we, do, we don't know how old this person is. They didn't tell us, but- Yeah, they did not. Let's say, let's say they're in their 20s and they say, I'm going to retire when I'm 40. And right. maybe your plans change at that point. But, but at that point, you probably have to have a lot more taxable dollars yeah. rather than, right, to, to get you through that and to yeah. touch the Roth. Yeah, or, yeah. Right? big ups, big ups. And I would definitely discuss that with a certified financial planner, uh, Ritholtz Wealth Management or elsewhere. But conceptually and very broadly, I think if the question is, do I do traditional versus Roth? 100% the answer is Roth. And the reason is because of favorable distribution rules that occur for Roth assets vice traditional. For a traditional IRA, if you take a distribution prior to 59 and a half, which is the year where your distributions become qualified, you need to eat a 10% penalty plus the income tax, right? And so if you're in a 22% tax bracket, you're paying five to state, all of a sudden your effective tax rate is like 40%, right? Because you're paying that extra 10% early distribution penalties. Roth IRAs, there is a penalty for early distributions, but it only applies to the earnings portion. And assuming that on retirement, you take your Roth 401k, roll it into the IRA, which is probably a good move, you get these favorable distribution rules, allow you to access your basis first. So for somebody retiring in their 40s, yeah, I, I think a Roth is, is, is great, number one. Might even be favorable, Ben, over a taxable brokerage account, although tax diversification is a great principle. Right, so yeah, so you're saying if you roll over the IRA, you can still take out those contributions, tax-free, penalty-free, and that's kind of what you can live on until you can get those other ones. Yes, your contributions, and just point of emphasis, only from an IRA. So you actually have to roll the money over to an IRA to take advantage of those rules. Roth 401k distributions are always pro rata, so you have to be careful uh, with the implications. Consult and my other your big, local tax My advisor. other big advice here would be, beyond yeah. finances, have a plan for what you're going to do with your life. Yep. Because I think you could get bored real quick in your 40s if you don't have something that's going to keep you going. It's, you can only go on so many trips and sit on the beach for so long before you get a little bored, I think. It, I know it sounds great in theory, right. but if you haven't thought through, like, what am I going to actually do with my life? I, you see a lot of these, these fire message boards things where they show people who say, I planned for 15 years, I saved 7% of my income, yeah. and I realized I didn't live my life, I didn't have any yeah. hobbies, I didn't have many friends. So I think that that is probably a bigger part of the situation than the finances of it. I well. would agree 100%, Ben. Right. All right. Let's do another one. Okay. Um, next, we have a question from uh, Eric. Also, uh, Bill, I should make you put like money in the swear jar for saying Sleepy Joe. You're going to get so many like hate political <laughs> comments now in the in the YouTube comments. It's a great nickname. Come on. <laughs> okay. He should embrace it. Okay. Yeah, uh, I agree. Up next, we have we're 34 and 33 with two children, four and two, and expecting twins this summer. Both of us have workplace 403B plans, Roth IRAs, and rollover IRAs from previous jobs. Taxable income in the 22% bracket. We currently have child credits of $6,000 a year, which will potentially jump to $12,000 a year in 2023. 
all else kept equal, our effective rate in 2022 of 13% would drop to about 6.5% in 2023 with the additional tax credit. I commonly hear of arguments for Roth early in career uh, due to income level, but also think young families have a unique window to contribute and convert to Roth at a very appealing effective rate up through their 30s and 40s. Does it make more sense, especially for young families, to use effective tax rate as the deciding factor? All right, before we get into the Roth stuff here, I want to talk a little bit about uh, having twins to a family. Mm. First of all, four, two, and twins, uh, Godspeed to you. That's a Uh, lot. My twins, George and Kate, are now five, going on six. We actually looked through some old photos, found this one recently. This one always makes me happy on the old, uh, (laughs) boy, I'm so glad we got to get rid of those. Chunky monkeys. Look at them. Yes. Uh, We actually have a a handful of friends and family members who have twins, so it's kind of like you're joining this club or fraternity uh, a few thoughts on having twins because it is a totally different experience. The first three to four months basically was a blur, complete blur. Life is very chaotic, but I think in the best way possible. It it's really crazy to see the bond that twins have with one another. My two, mm-hmm. my twins have like this unspeak unspoken language that they have that only the two of them understand. It's it's like they're on the same wavelength. It's very bizarre. Be prepared for this one on a regular basis, especially with car seats. Um, I would be carrying both car seats. You know, you get those like the biceps from carrying babies. All that I probably heard this on a weekly basis. Got your hands full there, huh? Huh? Right. Ah, and always if I, hilarious. If I felt like, How about them like apples? Playing, if I felt like playing it up, I'd say, I literally, my hands are full. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I think I think you also have to put on a brave face because all the other parents out there are going to be expecting you to be double tired and double miserable in those early months when you're not sleeping. Uh, I think you have to pretend like you're not. Right. Now I was never miserable, but I was definitely tired. Uh, it actually didn't really happen for us that much. Things were pretty hectic, but my wife spent the first three months saying we've got to get these sleep trained, and we did. Uh, high quality laundry machine and, and dryer are key. With four kids, you're going to be doing lots of loads. Yeah, you might want to double up on the laundry machine even. Uh, so anyway, that, that's or my thoughts. Mike has a don't, guy, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't even think about the fact that you're going to have three, maybe four children in college at the same time. Just push that off. for That's future use problem. Don't even think right. about that now. The more practical stuff, how does the child tax credit stuff work here with four children? That's hmm. potentially a, a good thing for them, right? This, is, this could be a good deal. Yeah. Yeah. Just my guy's math, I think is a little bit off. I think he's using the prior child tax credit. It's $2,000 a year here in 2023, which is no small shakes. But what the listener's getting at oh, is- Oh, they thought it was 6000 Yeah. So bad news right off the bat, but but it's going to be okay. You're going to be so busy and, and sleep deprived, you won't notice. But what they're getting at is these tax credits, they, they effectively wipe out your income tax. Uh, tax credit- uh, dollar for dollars is more powerful than a deduction because instead of reducing your taxable income like a like a tax deduction does, a mortgage tax deduction, what you're getting is these credits that offset your income tax, which is awesome. And you get to take $2,000 a year as the current law all the way up through age 15 when the child turns 16. So it's a pretty long- So they're uh, getting eight grand a year with four kids. Basically, yeah, to offset their taxes. And only part of that is refundable. And I think the question, the listener's question is, hey, how do I use this? If, if this is going to offset a major tax, tax, I'm going to be so sleep deprived and I'm not going to notice, but should I flip the switch? I'm in the 22% bracket. Should I take some more income to use up this tax bracket uh, credit? I think the answer is yes, but I would be careful because the last part of the question is really important on whether you use marginal versus effective tax rates. So to solve for this, because I didn't have a lot of time to prepare, I made a famous chart okay. and I want to walk through it briefly. I know Duncan's <laughs> going to throw, he's going to throw me out. Uh, so what, just to illustrate what's going on here for, for, for podcast listeners, you get $100,000 of income, calculate the tax at 13000 You could offset that by credits, let's say $6,000, left with $6,500 of tax. His question is, okay, cool. That means my effective tax rate is 6.5%, right? 
$6,500 divided by $100,000 of income, that's where that comes from. So let's say that you add in a Roth versus a traditional. You were deducting, now you've got more income because you elected Roth, now what happens? You've got more income, you've got more tax. Let's say that you still have the equivalent amount of child tax credit, but now your tax is at $7,000 because you're at the 22% rate. And so his question is, cool, now my effective tax rate is 9.6, less 6.5%. That's only 3% more, right? Should I use that? I think the answer is no, because the marginal tax rate, the extra dollar that comes in on top of everything else is the relevant number. That is going to be 22%. So ultimately, you're going to be paying 22% on your taxes, not 3%, even if your effective tax rate is different. And the reason I think that's important to outline is that the child tax credit is partially refundable. You can get that back on a refund. So I think the math is a little more complicated depending on how much the the, the listeners actually earn. But I think the, the, the bottom line answer to answer the question, use your marginal tax rate when you're making these decisions. Okay, Not I got they're you. They're, they're, yeah, I see, what I see what you did there. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some jujitsu. And guys, I got, I got, you just got to visualize this. You got you to come live in my brain. Come, come inception style into here. Uh, you got to see it to believe it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I definitely get that. Yeah. I, Duncan, I when was the last there? time somebody asked you a tax question on the street from Portfolio Rescue? I, I couldn't stop thinking about that backstage. All the time. All the time. I mean, <laughs> I did it last week. Pop quiz. You know, I came out from... <laughs> so, yeah, and yeah. you got it right, to your credit. So, good for you. Good on you. All right. We got one more here. Okay, yeah. Last but not least, we have a question from Andrew. Is it possible to do a Roth 401k, traditional 401k, and backdoor Roth? Okay, this person... Bill, you've been beating Roths over that... I mean, honestly... 90% of the questions this week had to do with Roth IRAs that came into our inbox. Uh, so people are trying to figure out, like, okay, I want to max out as many tax for strategies as possible. Yeah. What are the combos here, and what are some of the knockout factors that would deter you from using any one of these? Yeah, uh, uh, 100% you can. Uh, I would advise it. I, I think it's great fun. Uh, it's a great thing to do on a Friday night uh, with a glass of Chardonnay. Um, but what I would throw at a uh, listener is uh, to pay attention to the limits. The limits are very important. So for 401ks, the, the aggregate amount that goes uh, salary contribution, salary deferral is $22,500 per person per year if you're under the age of 50. That amount is split between traditional versus Roth IRAs, meaning that you cannot duplicate that amount. So if you do 22.5 in one, you can't do it in the other. You can do 11, 250 in both, some mix, but ultimately those are aggregated. IRAs are not subject to the 401k limits. And so, yes, you can do a traditional IRA contribution, backdoor convert it if you're over the income limit, and you can do that in addition to the 401k, but the aggregate limit applies to the 401k. So that's the important distinction. So if I get another job that's remotely, and I'm I'm doing another remote job on the side, Hmm. I can't open a new 401k and get that limit from Ah, great question. Ben, so you brought in a second job. Uh, No, so this is interesting. The salary deferral limit, which is what I talked about a second ago, that is limited. You cannot replicate that at different jobs. However, you can, in different jobs, do a profit-sharing contribution. So someone who might have a SEP IRA is considered a profit-sharing plan. Those are not subject to either the IRA limits or the retirement plan limits, again, distinct to the profit-sharing element. So if you work multiple jobs, more than likely, they're not going to give you a lot of a lot of matching contributions. But if you happen to get a 4% match, yes, you can duplicate that in multiple places. If but someone the made me the tax, the, the tax retirement czar of this country, I would just give everyone the same limit no matter what. You get Everyone yeah. gets $100,000 of tax deferral, whether it's an IRA, a yeah. SEP IRA, a 401k, yeah. a 403, whatever it is. I don't know I'll why even, we have to I'll have these even different further. limits. Ben, when you and I retire in our mid-40s, uh, I guess we missed the boat on that, but when we retire in our mid-50s, <laughs> we are going to go lobby Congress in Washington. Get this away from the employer. That'd be my thing. 
There is yes. a retirement plan for federal employees called the TSP, the Thrift Savings Plan, one of the lowest cost plans. You're preaching to the, the choir here. My brother is part of it, and I'm jealous of it all the time. And it's open to federal employees. Why do we do this through employers? Because it requires the employer. Me, as Red Holtz Wealth Management, the plan sponsor, I have to set this up every year for the benefit of you guys, right? And our guy, John, I have to do this every year and certify stuff and pay bills and blah, blah. Why don't we just do this through the federal government, encourage people to save? Like, screw the match. Maybe the company puts in the match. I don't know. But this should be open as a retirement program for the people. You must and, be and your reader of Wealth of Common Sense. It was one of my early blog posts. And it's also one of the, the cheapest retirement plans. I think each fund is like two or three basis points of investment yep. expenses. Yep. BlackRock runs it for them. That's great. It's it's an amazing program. You get like five program. index fund choices. Yep. It's, yes, government, it should be open to all Americans. sponsors, yeah, the whole thing. So and I'm then, with it. And how so would we companies are use their retirement plans to try to, you know, to try to woo talent, you know? Yep. Yep. For the inauguration day in 2036, uh, meet me there on the steps of the White House. We're going to go. Me, yes. Chuck Schumer, Kristen Gillibrand, we're going to go right up to Sleepy Joe, we'll still be president, and get this <laughs> thing signed into law. Let's do it. Who's with me? <laughs> Who's with me? Okay. Another dollar in the swear you can You can zoom me into that one. I'll, I'll watch from Zoom. <laughs> yeah. I think he's going to be like in his hundreds. We'll do a live. We'll do a yeah. live show from, uh, from D.C. Let's do All right. it. All right. If you have any tax questions... For Bill, keep them any coming. of us, Duncan, keep them they coming. They take me Remember, out of my box when we get more than 10 a week. So <laughs> Ask the compound show at gmail.com. Remember, new compounded friends tomorrow. If you're listening in podcast form, leave us a review. Leave us a comment below. I respond to all of them, unless they're mean. Then I don't. Yeah. Uh, compound merch is idontshop.com. Remember, we got some new stuff coming. coming. We got some new stuff coming in the shop. Keep your eyes peeled. All right. Yeah. All right. Also, you got, you heard, heard Bill, are you first. still hiring? Are you still hiring right. a tax person? Yeah, we're, we're looking. We're looking. Right. Uh, it's a hard time to hire somebody in tax. But yeah, if you've if you got skills, uh, get on our radar. Let us know. Thanks, everyone, who showed up in the live chat, as always. And we will see you next time. See you, everyone. Yep. Big shouts to Eric. Congrats on the babies. Yeah, congrats. This podcast is for informational purposes only. It is brought to you by Ritholtz Wealth Management. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities mentioned on this podcast.